This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Stamps.com. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly one million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending out invoices or a side hustle Etsy shop or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. Listeners, all you'll need is a computer and standard printer. No special supplies or equipment needed within minutes you're up and running printing official postage for any letter any package anywhere and you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from usps and ups once your mail is ready just schedule a pickup or just drop it off no traffic, no lines. Really cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new rate advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. You can save time and money with Stamps.com. There is no risk. And with our promo code POD, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There's no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com. Promo code P-O-D. That's stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. ANS protocol is active. Now preparing intense archery training. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, so hopefully everyone had a great Thanksgiving. On this week's show, we're going to be breaking down the first two episodes of Marvel's Hawkeye. Plus, we're talking all the highs and lows from WWE's Survivor Series. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, starting off this week, we have a rumor that, that a Miles Morales live-action Spider-Man movie is in active development. So industry scooper Daniel Reitman posted on his Patreon that Sony's actively developing a film starring Miles Morales. Uh, he had no further details, though. So this is definitely not the first time we've heard rumors of a Miles Morales film in the works from Sony. I mean, if you think about it all the way back in Spider-Man Homecoming, they even had Donald Glover playing uh, Miles' uncle, Aaron. So, I mean, we know that he already exists in this universe. I mean, we'll see if they actually introduce him that way, though. I mean, honestly, I think it'd be the bigger headline if Sony wasn't currently developing a Miles Morales film, because otherwise it's like no shit. I mean, the character's popularity has done nothing but groan over the years, rightfully so. I mean, and this is the studio that was developing an Aunt May film, for crying out loud. And, like, Sony, if you think about it, they experienced, like, the character's popularity firsthand with an Oscar-winning animated film. So they had a big part in that. So, I mean, a live-action debut from the character is just a no-brainer. It's just more of a case of when. And that all depends on how far along they are in the development. I mean, hopefully it's right around the corner, though. Exactly. The sooner the better. I want Miles on the live action screen. But even if they were to put out a story saying we're not making a Miles Morales film, I think they're lying. I think they're full of shit. So I, I <laughs> it's, it's no, I have to come out. I agree because like 
why wouldn't you be making a Miles Morales exactly. film? That's what everyone wants. <laughs> so, and they definitely like money, and they're milking this cash cow that is Spider-Man. Uh, so, I mean, of course they're making a Miles movie. It's just like, like I would be rethinking like my my Patreon like subscription to this dude's group if that's the kind of stories I'm getting because it's like okay <laughs> like, <laughs> like and oh and breaking news water's wet like of course <laughs> of course the developing a fucking movie I mean the real story would be like how far along they actually are right now which I mean obviously he doesn't know because he has no details but up next Kathleen Kennedy confirms that Star Wars has plans for the sequel trilogy characters. So in a new interview with Empire Magazine about the state of Star Wars, Kathleen Kennedy addressed the future of the sequel trilogy characters in no uncertain terms. In the interview, she's quoted as saying, certainly those are characters we're not gonna forget. They will live on and those are conversations that are going on with the creative team as well. Um, you know, I, I really hope so personally, because it would be such a waste. I mean, the sequel trilogy absolutely dropped the ball, especially with the last two films when it when it comes to these characters. I still believe they're salvageable. Um, and I mean, part of the reason why those films are so frustrating to me is because regardless of all like their issues, I still liked the characters in the performances by the actors. I just wish there was more of a consistent like vision behind the story they were trying to tell. Now, there are books and comics currently already out there, like Phil in the blanks and doing the needed legwork when it comes to like fleshing out like these characters backstories but i could definitely see them doing like a clone wars like show uh for this trilogy and i mean like what clone wars did for the prequels is just absolutely amazing because like those films the prequels when they came out were pretty much universally like panned by fans and critics alike but it was Clone Wars that pulled off the small miracle of really like redeeming them with like world building and just good old fashioned storytelling. Uh, you know, if you follow that same formula or do something akin to it, I really think you could get people to fall deeper in love with these characters and really start clamoring to see more of them. I mean, Star Wars fans are over the moon about like Hayden Christensen returning to the franchise. And trust me, I'm not blaming the prequel's shortcomings on Hayden Christensen solely. But if you would have told me 10 years ago that people are going to be really excited for his return, I'd call you a damn liar. So it just goes to show you like how much Clone Wars has really meant to this franchise. I'm also seeing this as like they've had time to like, you know, see what works, see what doesn't work. No, like, I mean, there's hours and hours of people just screaming scrolling through every shot of all these movies, telling you, hey, this is what we don't like, this is what we like. The Mandalorian, super successful, we love all of this. I feel like they're going to learn from a lot of their mistakes and start to build from there. At least that's what I hope as, as usual. But you know, who knows with what they're doing with management and everything. Yeah, so. I mean, that's all we can do is hope, right? Yeah, exactly. But with that being said, I hope they don't like spend too much time worrying what people are saying, you know, on the Internet, because I feel like that was one of the main problems with, you know, Rise of Skywalker was they were too busy trying to please everyone. And because of that, that film's an absolute mess. No, like how you said earlier, I hope that they do something where they have an idea of what the ending is going to be. Yes, that's the first thing you need to do with yes. storytelling is like figure <laughs> out where you're going. That's like storytelling. 101 like what's the end and then you write to it you know where do i want the story to go um but 
you know, apparently they didn't take that course. So. Not at all. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Up next, a Power Rangers cinematic universe going to Netflix. So Deadline broke the news. Netflix will be the home of E1's television's planned Power Rangers expansion for multiple series and movies. This includes the already announced 1990 set feature film reboot previously set up at Paramount Pictures. E1's president of Global Television, Michael Lombard, uh, was quoted in an interview saying, Since we set up Power Rangers with Jonathan, we pitched really a whole world approach. It's not just one show, it's shows followed by films and some kids programming. We have found a great writing partner for him uh, and they're off. Uh, knock on wood, Netflix is excited. We're excited. We hope to have some news soon. So Christian, the Power Rangers really aren't my generation. I'm more of a like G.I. Joe Transformers guy. But I don't know if we talked about this before. Were you a Power Rangers kid growing up? I most definitely was. I mean, even just the mention of Power Rangers gets that theme blasting in my head. As it was something I looked forward to watching all the time and then eventually having to sneak watch because apparently it was too violent for me as a child. But <laughs> were you like karate chopping your family or something? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was your uh, who was your favorite uh, Power Ranger? I think, you know, I always enjoyed um, the Blue Ranger and the Black Ranger the most. Just, you know, characters okay. that I identified with a little bit more. Okay. Okay. Now, was there a particular, like, series of Power Rangers? Because I know there's, like, multiple, multiple, like, versions of, like, the show, right? But, like, what was your series? Oh, my series definitely was the original, but I did follow through, like, three generations, and then there was, like, a pause for me where I got back into Ninja Storm and stuff like that. There's there's many I did definitely watch growing up. What the fuck is Ninja Storm? Is that a Power Rangers show? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's a generation different... of Power Rangers. Oh, like, okay. There's Turbo, okay, there's, gotcha. there's all these different generations. And I think um, okay. why this story is kind of interesting is because one of the big things that always were you know so great about the Power Rangers is when they would do these massive team ups where they would take all the previous generation teams and put them on screen together. It would be like a, oh. an episode where it would just be everyone going up against the big bad. And that's why a cinematic universe is probably something that they're looking at right now, because those were always big hits with the people watching the show. So it would actually have like a layered continuity where like the shows all existed in the same world. It wasn't just like a, yes. a cash grab for like, you know, putting out new and toys. Or it'd be like a multiverse. OK, gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. I mean, I'm sure it was still a cash grab just to get new toys on the shelf. Uh -huh. But how long would a typical like series last? Like how many seasons? Really, I think the first one. One was the only one that had like multiple seasons going for it and then they kind of just started doing like one season which would have like 25 plus episodes and then it'd be just like different rotating casts of different groups okay did any of the characters like jump to like the next series sometimes like like the most reoccurring character of course is tommy like that was everyone's favorite for a long time and he would just pop up in every other series or if there was a big moment tommy would show up at some point but all the characters have made cameos at some point unless they've had you know some some issues in their own personal oh, really? lives <laughs> Is there like a dark side of the Power Rangers like documentary about to yeah. come out or something <laughs> that I don't know about? Trust me, there's uh, some dark stories with those uh, with those guys. <laughs> Tommy's the Greed Ranger, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. I know Tommy. I think Tommy like 
either is doing mixed martial arts or he wrestled or something. something he did MMA at one point. I remember he was like challenging okay. Punk when he started doing MMA too. That's what it is. So uh-huh. I was like, I know Tommy for some reason. There's no reason why I should. So, okay, that makes sense. But yeah, if done right, I mean, it could be an interesting thing for them to build back up on Netflix. I don't know if I'm into it now, but you know, it's, it is, it is cool to see that it's continued on. Have they ever attempted to do like a darker version of the series, like, you know, more targeted towards, you know, adults? Um, the main show hasn't, but there had there was, funny enough, a great fan recreation of the show. They actually brought in original actors and stuff like that, that was completely dark. Like they were dying. There was all this stuff happening that was wow. like people getting seriously injured. Um, I would say the most recent film was a was a kind of attempt to like bring in nostalgia while also making the you know Power Rangers a little bit more serious. But also that movie was eh, not that great, so it didn't okay. do too well in general. But hence why we have a reboot. Yeah, exactly. Again. Okay. <laughs> Gotcha. Because I, I remember like catching a few episodes like when it first came out because, you know, my sister was really into it and it was just so fucking over the top goofy that I was like, OK, I can't I can't uh-huh. take this seriously. At all. <laughs> but I mean, at the time, I think I was like, you know, like either in middle school or a freshman in high school because it was early 90s. Right. Mm-hmm. And like okay. that early show was mostly just, you know, ripped from Japan. And then they would take yes. the, the American actors to do the other scenes. And I think there's just a lot of crazy history with Power Rangers. Well, hopefully it ends up being a success. I, I mean, I know that the toys have been on the shelves for decades at this point. So obviously they they're doing something right. Well, anyway, on the horror front, Hammer Films forms Hammer Studios to restore classic horror films and make new ones. So Variety is reporting today that Hammer Films has joined forces with Network Distributing to form Hammer Studios, the latest evolution of the iconic British film production company. Variety went on to explain the new entity will manage and control Hammer's interest in its vast library of content. What this means, quote, is Hammer Studios will invest substantially both in restoration and new production development from both its owned and newly created IP. So I'm a huge Hammer fan. I still don't feel like they get enough credit for their influence on the horror genre. Uh, I put those classic films on the same pedestal. I put like Universal Monster movies, which is really high. I absolutely worship at the altar of Terrence Fisher. And I would love to get like definitive collections of like his films on Blu-ray. And I think it'd be cool to see what like in 2021, what Hammer Studios can bring to the table when it comes to horror. Uh, but yeah, I, I know a while back, I think they were involved in the remake of Let the Right One In, which wasn't half bad. All right, Christian, the time has finally come again. We have a brand new MCU series to talk about. Uh, it, it feels like it's been like a year, but it's only really been like a month or so. Uh, but yeah, it's time to break down the first two episodes of Marvel's Hawkeye. Let's get into it. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Hawkeye series ahead. You have been warned. Oh my god, that was amazing! Whoa! Nice, Kate. Fine. Right? And it gives a character all the most famous balls of cracks in them. Alright, that's uh that's not great, but it could be worse. 
This is bad. We open Hawkeye right before the Battle of New York as Kate Bishop listens in on her parents arguing over their debts and needing to move from their illustrious penthouse. Something that you will notice over the first episode is all of Kate's trophies and subtle nods to her you know, interests and athletic abilities as we see she knows how to you know, not only fence but rock climb and perform martial arts as well, even from a young age. Just after being consoled by her father and the possible changes in lifestyle they will have to you know, make, the Chitari actually invade Earth and the Battle of New York begins. Well, during the invasion, it turns out that Kate's home is actually blasted right open. And before a Chitari can attack young Kate, an arrow knocks them out of the sky. And we get the moment of Clint jumping off the roof in Avengers from Kate's perspective. I thought this was a great opening sequence. Um, I love it when they show us like the citizen's point of view mm -hmm. of these like, you know, giant Marvel events, um, you know, just seeing like how it actually like affected everyone else and like their individual stories and how it's going to lead, you know, Kate into becoming, you know, the hero that she eventually becomes. I also thought it like served as a great reminder of like just how badass Hawkeye really is as a character. Uh -huh. I think throughout these first two episodes, they did a great job of establishing and I know a lot of people like to shit on poor Hawkeye but I mean fucking Hawkeye's out there saving the universe without any fucking powers so what's more heroic than that we later find out that Kate's father actually died during this battle as we get a moment with Kate and her mother at his funeral. Kate's mother, Eleanor, is shocked by her daughter's determination to protect her and promises that she will provide Kate with whatever she needs in life. Kate, clearly influenced by seeing Clint, asks for a bow. I swear to God, Vera Farmiga is in like everything. And she doesn't know how to act bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning she's fantastic at what yes. she does. And that's why, yeah. and I think like, it's almost to the point now that like, like people take her for granted mm. you know like oh of course you know it's vera farmiga like she's just awesome like <laughs> um and that and that's probably the reason why she always has a job i will say this is probably the most tame performance i've ever seen from her but i mean i think that's just because we haven't gotten into whatever might be going yes, on with her yet yes. so now story-wise they definitely kind of flip things around uh in you know kate's comic book origin it's her mother who um passes away when she's younger or so she thinks spoilers uh but now you know i guess for you know for some reason we'll find out why uh they you know have the dad you know passing away seemingly <laughs> possible spoilers we flash forward to an all grown up 22 year old kate bishop who would get herself expelled from college after taking a bet that she could ring the stained clock tower bell at her college with an arrow and with a bit of foreshadowing we see kate have to make her very first trick arrow to pull off the tricky shot and it works a little too well as the bell collapses and destroys the clock tower before we cut away now do you think this school is actually was like funded by Obadiah Stane because that's I, I mean that's the thing that keeps popping up online for me when I look up Stane College but I don't know I mean I'm sure it's purposeful like they wouldn't just like it's not a coincidence hmm. that the school is called Stane but it might just be an easter egg who knows I know in the comics like his son like you know is a character so maybe we get some kind of appearance by him but I mean it's kind of a stretch to go off of you know just a plaque at this point so 
Next we see it's holiday time in New York as Clint Barton attends Rogers the Musical with his three kids. The musical focusing on the Battle of New York features all the Avengers and Ant-Man who wasn't there, prompting some painful memories for Clint, especially seeing someone play Natasha. Hell, there's even a kid in the audience that's cosplaying as Natasha as well. It all proves to be too much for Clint as he steps out to get some air. Also during this scene, we find out about Clint's hearing loss as he now has a hearing aid that he actually had turned off during this musical because it looks and sounds god-awful. I actually think Marvel released the song on Apple, so you can download it right now. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> because of course they did. Uh, 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 it was Agatha all along was actually nominated for a Grammy this week, so... Nice. <laughs> um, I really thought this moment was important. Um, I love that the series can do this where they like flesh out, you know, these characters and, you know, kind of show us the aftermath of, you know, everything that's happened in the films. Uh, like, you know, how's Clint dealing with like losing his friends, you know, especially Natasha. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, of course, it's painful to see like <laughs> this, you know, awful depiction of his friends like dancing around. But like, you know, also, you know, there's that level of that layer of you know, loss and grief that he's still dealing with. So as like comical and ridiculous as this moment was, it still like carried some serious, like, you know, emotional weight. Christian, here's my question though. Does Hawkeye have like an extra kid? Cause I thought for some reason Thank he had you. like a son and a daughter. Thank you. And I, there's, <laughs> I'm so confused. Like, I, where where's this other like son from? I like did, where did he come from? I don't know. I thought I thought there was only two in that scene too. I was like, am I crazy? Were there was there a third child that I wasn't noticing in the dusting scene? I don't know. Huh. Like maybe he was off like in college or in school or I don't know. Why am I so confused? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I, of course, I haven't bothered like looking it up, but I swear uh -huh. to God, there's only two kids. And I was like, is this three. a boyfriend or like what? But no, he said my son. So I yeah, was like, no, oh, it's, okay. his, it's his son. It's his <laughs> older son. But I don't remember him at all in Endgame or even Age of Ultron, right? Yeah, I don't I don't remember him having three kids. I don't know. <laughs> Over at the Bishop residence, we meet back up with Kate, getting, you know, pretty much scolded by her mother, Eleanor, for destroying the clock tower. Here we get a good moment of Eleanor explaining to Kate, you know, that she's grown up with tons of privilege and, you know, getting this feeling of being invincible and that she could actually get hurt someday if she keeps messing around, which all just kind of plays into Kate's recklessness and steadfast attitude in this show. We also meet Eleanor's new boyfriend, Jack, who clearly gets under Kate's skin quite easily. And honestly, this dude just seems so goddamn annoying. I don't blame her at all. We find out that Jack has moved in with her mother, Dearest, and has begun displaying his sword collection throughout the home. Before Kate can ask more about what's happening while she was at school, it turns out they're all supposed to head to this charity ball that's been going on. Christian, I think you're just intimidated by his sweet stash. No. Because that's a fantastic mustache. <laughs> I, I kill for a mustache like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that you know, Jack is uh, the swordsman who uh, joins the Avengers in the comics at one point. Uh, he trains Hawkeye also in the books, but that definitely doesn't seem to be the origin story happening here uh, with the character. But I definitely agree. Like he's, he's obviously playing like the ultimate, like, you know, future stepdad. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One that like Kate wants nothing to do with. 
No, uh, some of his lines made me wanted to throw up while watching this show. So <laughs> I'm sure that's the point. Uh -huh. <laughs> we fire back to Clint and his family enjoying a night out on the town at a local Chinese restaurant in which it's clear that Clint is doing all that he can to spoil his children on his trip and Christmas in general, while also trying to you know create this sense of normalcy in his life because he can't seem to escape, you know, his own celebrity. So in just like the few moments we get with like Clint interacting with his family in the first two episodes, I thought they did like a great job of really showing like how much his family really means to him. And, you know, you could tell like, you know, every moment's precious because I'm sure, you know, due to the nature of his job, he really has to spend like long periods of time away from them. So when he gets a chance to be around them, you know, he makes the most of it. And then you like throw in the trauma of like, you know, the snap or the blip, whatever the hell they call it in the MCU. Um, you know, I can't even imagine like how precious every like second, you know, feels to him, which is gonna lead to, you know, a big part of this story being, you know, Clint's race home to be with his family for Christmas. All the while, Kate isn't enjoying her time at this charity event as Jack and Eleanor entertain the wealthy and powerful of New York. Easily confused to be a waiter as she came dressed similarly to the white staff that is there, Kate is approached by Armand Duquesne, the supposed uncle of Jack. Armand actually springs more news onto Kate as she finds out that Jack and Eleanor are actually engaged. On top of that, it seems like Armand has some kind of issue with her mother as he openly tells Kate that his nephew is more of a prize than her mother is. Either way, Kate confronts her mother for not telling her about this news, but ultimately feigns, you know, being happy for her before making her way outside to get some air. And when she goes outside, she actually meets a poor little dog outside chilling on the street, either missing an eye or it's damaged. Yes, this is the introduction to the notorious pizza dog, uh, who's a big part of the uh, Matt Fraction series, which this entire, you know, show seems yes. to be based on <laughs> at this point. And that opening sequence is like a perfect like recreation of those um, front covers and everything. Yes, yes, absolutely. When she returns to the party, she catches her mother Eleanor and Armand arguing inside a room. With subtitles on, I could determine that, you know, Armand has found out a secret about Eleanor and how Eleanor has built her wealth, as he states her empire is built on lies. Kate questions her mother about what just happened after Armand storms off. But her mom stays kind of aloof about the entire situation, stating that she has no idea. This prompts Kate to tail Armand. Yeah, they're definitely setting up a mystery here, uh, you know, revolving around Kate's mom. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, <laughs> it seems like a lot of these, you know, MCU shows revolve around some kind of mystery. Mm. I just hope it's not like copy and paste. I'm just hoping it's not like copy and paste and we have another like power broker situation. Kate would then find herself disguised as a waiter in a wine cellar where a secret auction was being held. This auction featured items from an Avengers warehouse where we see Hawkeye's Ronin sword on the bid. During this scene, Jack and his uncle Armand argue about his wife-to-be Eleanor before getting into a bidding battle over the sword. We find out that Jack does not control or have nearly the wealth his uncle does and, in a sly remark, says that he's next to inherit it though. Yeah, this conversation definitely like is foreshadowing things to come uh, later on You know, in these two episodes. I feel like it's probably more of a red herring, though. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, where the hell do they get a fucking Triceratops head? <laughs> I don't know. And how do you get that down to a wine cellar like uh -huh, that? Uh-huh, right. Because <laughs> that thing looked fresh, too. 
Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> but it's Marvel. I guess someone could visit, like, the Savage Land or something. Kate's disguise doesn't actually last long, though, because, you know, a waiter that actually does work there brings the manager by. Slipping out of sight and further into the wine cellar, Kate discovers some Russians setting up something in the back. Well, it isn't much later that the tracksuit mafia set off a bomb in an attempt to steal something at this auction, and can later be heard saying that they're looking for a watch. So, like, what do you think that the deal is with the watch? I'm not sure, because at first I was speculating that it could be probably a time, you know, one of the time travel watches that they had from Endgame, but then when we actually see the watch later on, it's yeah, clearly it not that. It definitely doesn't look that fancy <laughs> uh-huh. or high tech, right? Um, not saying that it can't be something in disguise, because it could be like maybe something from Tony, mm-hmm. you know, where you know turns into a suit or you know a gauntlet, if you will. I mean, he had so many tricks up his sleeve, so I wouldn't be surprised. Or it calls in an entire suit. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> You son of a bitch. All the puns are always uh, intended. You already heard me say uh, tricky shot just like two minutes ago. <laughs> There's more. You're, you're the worst. With the chaos of the explosion, we see Jack stealing the Ronin sword while Kate suits up in the Ronin's gear. Now, as Ronin, Kate takes on the tracksuit mafia, allowing the patrons to escape. We get a showcase of Kate's martial arts skills as she utilizes everything the wine cellar has to offer to take down all these baddies and escape herself. I thought this was a, like a quick and effective way to like showcase, you know, Kate's like prowess, you know, as a fighter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it was it was funny as all hell, like listening to those fucking wine bottles, like clunk off their heads. Yeah. So <laughs> I definitely enjoyed that sound effect. Those were really sturdy bottles, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it's not that uncommon for a bottle to maybe last more than one hit. So I'll give him What that. are you doing with your life? That- <laughs> <laughs> You're beating people with wine bottles on the weekend, Christian? It's none of your business. Uh-huh. <laughs> In between thinking of bad puns. <laughs> Meanwhile, it seems that the one-eyed dog we mentioned earlier can be seen attacking a member of the tracksuit mafia that had actually found the watch that they were looking to steal. But before any serious harm can come to the good pupper, Kate comes across the scene and knocks out the tracksuit mafia member, only to find herself chasing and saving the dog from getting hit by traffic. But at the same time, we see a tracksuit mafia member by the name of Kazi pull up his mask showing his face as he goes after her. Yeah, in the comics, the character is known as the clown. Uh, he's pretty fucking terrifying. Uh, hopefully he's not, he's more than just like a glorified henchman, you know, in this series. I mean, they definitely meant to highlight him here because there's another scene in the next um, episode mm-hmm. as well where they show his face off again. Uh, but maybe we'll see him with some white paint soon enough. Yeah, because we know like Marvel's not scared to go comic book accurate anymore. So, like, go big or go home, right? As this is the last night of their vacation to New York, we see Clint and his kids ready to pack before bed. With the TV on, Clint overhears the news that a sighting of the Ronin has been made in New York City, immediately giving him flashbacks to his time murdering the criminal underworld, Punisher style. This was a real nice reminder of, like, how, like, off the deep end Clint really went after the blip. Uh, I would love to see like a whole series about like Clint as Ronan, you know, being the scourge of the underworld. Um, I doubt they'll ever, you know, do that though. But because that, that, I mean, it sounds like a really like dark chapter uh-huh. in the character's life. So that's definitely like one like improvement that they made 
from the comic books with Clint as like Ronan. Because in, in the comics, like he just puts on the suit after he comes back to life uh, after the events of Avengers uh, Dissembled. Uh, and he joins like the new Avengers. And I, I don't know, he's kind of feeling out of sort and like not himself. Uh, and I think Kate has taken the mantle of Hawkeye at that point. So, mm-hmm. you know, he he grabs the, the Ronin garb, uh, which was previously worn by Echo. So I don't know. I, I really just enjoyed what like, you know, the MCU did with that whole like storyline. And, and hopefully we get to see more of that chapter, like, you know, just kind of glimpses of that, you know, throughout this series. Because obviously the character was seriously traumatized because why else would you rock that haircut he was rocking in? It's <laughs> a style choice, man. All right. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> Back at Kate's apartment, Kate frantically tries to process everything that has been going on. Having brought our new one-eyed friend with her, she throws him a slice of pizza before making her way to Armin's home, as she uses her family's security tech to track down his location. Yeah, this uh, super security app is definitely really convenient. <laughs> yeah, and also, <laughs> these, like... In this first two episodes, I mean, I guess it's kind of you know, one way of getting from point A to point B, you know, without having to do like tons of work. But that shit should be illegal, man. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> fifteen, Like, under 15 seconds, she's able to track someone down. But, it's, like, why does Kate even have this on her phone in the first place? I don't place? know. <laughs> if she was working with Lucius Fox, he would definitely quit on her. Exactly. Parkouring her way into Armin's house, she finds caramels brandished with Armand III's name, all right before she turns around to find the man himself dead on the living room floor. As Kate attempts to investigate though, a maid arrives and she quickly escapes the scene, but only to run into the tracksuit mafia who have been tracking her down. Luckily for her, Hawkeye himself, Clint Barton, has also been tracking her down trying to find out who's been donning his alter ego. After beating up all the tracksuit mafia members and a little tussle with Kate, he takes off her mask only to find that it was a young girl all along and the episode comes to a close. I did like how Hawkeye easily disposed of, you know, the the tracksuit mafia Mm -hmm. because if Kate could like, you know, go toe to toe with them, you know, Hawkeye should have no problem. There's a lot happening at the end of this episode. I mean, you know, Hawkeye's able to find her rather quickly. Uh, You know, the tracksuit mafia is able to find her rather quickly, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that those kind of shortcuts when it comes to like storytelling, I'm okay with because it just moves the plot forward. Um, Like I don't need like, you know, scenes of Hawkeye, like tracking Kate down or like, you know, establishing like just how he found Kate. Like I'm okay with, you know, skipping, you know, that beat just to get where we need to get to. Um, But with that being said, I will say that I'm glad that they released, you know, two episodes this week instead of just one. Not that I thought it was a weak episode, but it definitely takes its time to kind of get going and, Mm -hmm. you know, does what it should with, you know, really setting up like who these characters are and what this story is going to be about. But if that's all we got this week, it would feel a little like unsatisfying. Yeah, because I I mean, I definitely felt like the more interesting moments happened in the second episode. So I was happy to see that there was two of them. But I I agree. I mean, there was a lot of great introductory moments that allowed us to like 
get a feel for these characters for the most part. Like I loved everything with the family that with Clint, like you said earlier, I thought that was really well done and really getting a grasp of how much he needs to get back home <laughs> to be with them. Yeah, no. And then they did a great job too of like, you know, setting up just who Kate is and yes. you know, what she's about and what drives her. And that's really a lot of storytelling to do in just one episode. And now a message from our sponsor, Manscaped. Ho, 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 gentlemen, the holidays came early here at Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. Manscaped just launched new products, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash and two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give yourself, or someone who needs it, the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. Go to manscaped.com and use our code 20AMAZING for 20% off plus free shipping. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past, and it's possible you have Santa's beard in your pants. It's time to leave your significant other some cookies and milk at the bottom of your chimney. I'm talking about the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Christian, I still remember that magical Christmas like it was yesterday. I thought I was finished unwrapping all my gifts, and then my wife surprised me by handing me my first Manscaped performance package. And Christian, I swear I could hear church bells ring and choirs sing as my life was changed forever. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts. So the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant, moisturizer, and toner. It's time to keep your North Pole feeling and smelling fresh. This hygiene bundle will also come with a pair of Manscaped anti-chafing boxers. They'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. It's the perfect package for your perfect package. Manscaped is going beyond the groin with their new Ultra Premium Body Wash. It's infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling fresh, nice, and moisturized. They also just launched their new two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, which has ingredients with benefits that include hydrating, nourishing, conditioning the scalp, plus strengthening your hair at the same time. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING at manscaped.com. Every guy out there needs to add Manscaped to their wish list this season. That's right. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20AMAZING at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code 20AMAZING. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Also, if you want to make the Amazing Nerd Show proud, go ahead and send us a screenshot of you using our promo code at checkout with manscaped.com. We'll send you some free nerd swag as long as you live in the United States area. Manscaped, your nuts will thank you. Now returning to Hawkeye. Major spoilers for Hawkeye episode 2 ahead. You have been warned. It's a nice place you got here. It's not creepy at all. Hey, 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 hey. You kid. I know you kid. So don't kid, okay? Because it was getting very hard to find place. No? Old warehouses are being converted into lofts, so how can I get something better? No, bro. Come on, bro. But he's, he's criticizing. Okay. Uh, look, guys, I'm not. 
Episode 2 continues right where we left off as an ultra fangirl Kate Bishop brings a clearly annoyed Clint Barton back to her place to figure out everything that's gone down. But it doesn't take Clint long to figure out this isn't a safe place for her as she admits to stopping here before going to Armand's house, meaning that the tracksuits probably know where she lives. And just like that, a Molotov goes through her window. And just this opening scene, you could tell like what great chemistry both these characters have together. Mm. Um, both these actors have together, I should say. I mean, right off the bat, they're really already setting up like Clint as kind of like a mentor, you know, to Kate. And Kate's really like having a hard time like containing herself, you know, meeting, you know, the hero who inspired, you know, the person, you know, she's becoming, uh, you know, for the first time. What's interesting, you know, from the trailer, I always assumed that, you know, she was wearing the Rodin suit as kind of like an ode to Clint, mm-hmm. but here we find out it's just a happy coincidence uh, or an unhappy coincidence, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, because no one has any idea that Clint, you know, was rodent for the, those, you know, years, you know, during the whole blip. And it got me really like thinking, is that where we're headed story-wise? Like, is the underworld going to discover, you know, Clint was rodent? And like, what are the ramifications of that? Because just that like suit popping up you know, set off a huge chain of events. Overwhelmed by the growing fire, Kate and Clint make their escape, but leave the Ronin suit behind, which seemed like he could easily have taken the suit with them, but oh well. Kate, still amazed by getting to work with her hero and inspiration, is consistently let down by the truth of what they have to do in order to survive the night, like the fact that there are no Avengers hideouts and Clint's supplies are merely drugstore items for their wounds. I don't know what she was expecting. Like, I don't know if she thought, like, Hawkeye would have, like, his own, like, (laughs) Hawkeye cave or something. Probably. (laughs) She has an inflated, like, view of who Hawkeye is. Fair enough. But as they always say, you know, don't meet your your heroes, just buy their merch. Is that what they say? Well, uh, the the first part for sure, but, you know. Kate ends up taking Clint to her aunt Maura Brandon's place as she is currently out of town. Clint gets Kate set up, but he's a man on a mission tonight. After all, it's Christmas time and he wants to spend it with his family. So Clint immediately heads back out to Kate's apartment to pick up the Ronin suit. Here's something that I didn't understand. Like, why is Clint so, like, determined to get this Ronin suit off the streets? Is he just worried about, like... If someone dons it, like their safety, because obviously he wasn't in possession of the suit in the first place. And obviously he mm. didn't seem too concerned about like the suit's whereabouts. So, like, so why all of a sudden the concern over, you know, the suit? I'm not sure. I mean, it could just be the fact that, you know, as we've seen, stuff just gets stirred up as soon as the Ronin shows up. So maybe he thinks that the underworld could you know i don't know get a little bit too excited because of the ronin's existence in new york i don't know that's what i was saying like is it just because he's worried that someone's going to be wearing the suit and you know and they might end up putting themselves in harm's way uh, you know with them becoming a target because otherwise like once he figures out like who ronin is and that it's just you know kate who accidentally put the suit on you think okay End of story, I can go back home to my kids now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sneaking into Kate's apartment, Hitman 47 style, dressed as a firefighter, Clint finds that his Ronin suit has already been taken from the scene, and when going back out to return the jacket he stole from a fire truck, 
Clip notices a sticker for a LARPing group on the truck. Maybe Hawkeye does have a Batcave, because that's some serious, like, detective work he just did. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Clint, after getting back to Kate and helping her with her wounds, decides to look up what he can find out about the New York City LARPers. And, lo and behold, someone has posted themselves in a LARPing group wearing his Ronin gear. Before he can investigate further, Clint sends his kids back home, promising his daughter that he will be there for Christmas. We also see that the youngest son is practicing sign language as he tells him I love you. Now Clint losing his hearing is something that you know is a big part of the Fraction storyline mm -hmm. um, and it's something that was established you know even prior to that but but it's something that you know went further back uh, in the character's history uh, that you know it seemed like an on again off again storyline you know just depending on you know if the writer chose to kind of like you know use it or not but it's definitely a, a really interesting wrinkle to the character meeting back up with kate clint sees another report on ronin as the news states that ronin may be connected to the death of armand yeah, like we'll see later on in this episode, Kate definitely has to work on her stealth skills. Kate and Clint then walk to her job at the Bishop security firm as Clint explains his hearing loss to Kate, as it was most likely caused by continuously being near explosions. Clint, looking to close all this up, tells her that this is probably the last time we're going to be seeing each other, but gives the also dejected Kate a phone number to reach him just in case. In which she abuses right away. Of course. I mean, even in the scene, she's like, I'll call you soon. <laughs> <laughs> After this, Kate brazenly walks up to her mother's office, showing a lack of regard for the secretaries, and upon going in, finds Jack and her mother, Eleanor, meeting with one another. Kate immediately starts prying on Jack's feelings as far as the death of his uncle goes, as she clearly suspects him to be the killer. Jack, in what seems like the cringiest conversation I've seen in a Marvel show so far, starts discussing how he thinks Kate must be feeling about him based off of what he's read in books on how to be a stepfather. But this all just kind of sets up a dinner at the Bishop home to further discuss the new family that they're becoming. Meanwhile, Clint is forced to enter a live-action role-playing session to talk to the firefighter that took his Ronin suit. We see Clint hilariously play along as he easily works his way from sword fight to sword fight to get his suit. Upon meeting the firefighter, Clint agrees to a one-on-one -on -one challenge in order to make this guy look good in front of all of his friends. Clint takes the fall in the end, gets his suit back, and admits to enjoying LARPing. While this is all going on though, Kate is continuously trying to reach out to Clint, who is having way too much fun LARPing, and gets a call answering it of course in hopes that it's Clint, but Kate finds herself on the phone with a police officer asking her about her whereabouts during the fire earlier in this episode. Kate clumsily agrees to meet with a police officer the next morning that I doubt she'll actually remember. Now, I love this scene, but it's absolutely absurd. <laughs> <laughs> I just got so much pleasure watching Clint, like, actually start to enjoy himself, uh -huh. you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, uh, you would think that you'd be, like, taking this time and actually, like, you know, be hunting down the tracksuit mafia to, like, clear Kate's, like, name. Uh, but whatever, because that, that feels, like, a, more important to me than, like, finding the suit. <laughs> It should be like the real reason why he's sticking around, which it is. I mean, he does do that eventually, but I don't know. Instead of like hanging out the entire afternoon with, you know, these LARPers. Well, it also made me wonder if like, you know, if these people that cosplay as heroes in this universe ever get in trouble for looking too much 
like the cause like the actual hero i mean because like what if someone mistakes them and then you know you know i'm a bad guy i just shoot you on the street you know it's no i mean that's <laughs> absolutely true because you would think in the marvel universe it would be dangerous to be running around in a costume now with the suit in hand, Clint checks in with his wife and kids while he stashes the suit in a random locker while discussing his next move, as he knows that he can't leave just yet due to the tracksuit mafia. It all looks like Clint's plan is to get captured similarly to the way we are introduced to Black Widow in the Avengers, as Clint's wife points out his plan is one of Natasha's old moves. Does Clint not have any connections left from his time with S.H.I.E.L.D.? I don't that know. He has to just throw it in a fucking bus station locker? <laughs> like, you know, this suit with that he's so... Lock. Like, desperately trying to, like, retrieve. He just throws uh, into a fucking random locker. Really bizarre choice. Because uh, you would think he'd be able to, like, call one of his old S.H.I.E.L.D. buddies up and, you know, you know, hand over the suit to them. But whatever. One of them's got to be working for S.W.O.R.D. at this point, right? Oh, I'm sure there's remnants of S.H.I.E.L.D. like throughout the government, you know, and in like multiple different agencies. So I, I would have to believe he could, you know, reach out to someone to find a safe place to keep the suit, but whatever. Kate at the dinner she set up with her mom and Jack again attempts to pry at Jack's potentially hidden agenda. Jack in a moment where he thinks he's bonding with Kate gets easily convinced to spar with her in a fencing match. During the matchup, it's painfully obvious that Jack is not even trying against Kate and almost comes off condescending every time he says, wow, you're doing so good. Kate, frustrated by this, takes a cheap shot to prove that he is not telling the truth, a shot that he easily parries disarming Kate. Kate, pleading to her mother to see that he is hiding something, gets what in her mind is a sign of confirmation that he killed Armand when Jack returns from changing out of his fencing gear and offers her a caramel from Armand's home. I thought this was a good way to kind of set up, like, you know, Jack's prowess as the swordsman. Um... Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it's a little, you know, Sakami with a whole like stepdad storyline, but it is what it is. Did it feel to you like Jack was purposely giving her the uh, caramel like as almost like a threat? It felt like that. But at the same time, I'm not convinced that he's going to be a bad guy at all. No, in this. no, <laughs> I'm saying 50 50 at best. So uh -huh. I'm pretty sure he's like a red herring, honestly. Um, I don't trust the moms, so. Uh, but that might be due to like prior knowledge, um, which they mm. could totally mix up and do their own thing, you know, in the MCU, which they've done before. Like they don't always stay like beat to beat true to the, you know, the comics. But the way they shot this definitely felt like they're trying to imply, you know, something when it comes to Jack, you know, whether or not it was like his way of saying, you know, you know, be careful or, you know, even like I know you were there you know, when my uncle died um, or, you know, he just wanted to give her a piece of candy. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I'm wondering if Kate is going to like offer this up as like evidence, though, when she like meets up with the cop later on. After that, we return to Clint, who pretends to be shocked when the tracksuit mafia attempt to kidnap him. Kate, again trying to reach out to Clint about her findings with Jack, calls Clint only to have someone else answer his personal phone. Kate, knowing something must have happened, immediately tracks down Clint. Clint, after being napped up by the tracksuit mafia, explains, or at least tries to explain, that he let it all happen so that he could meet with their boss. The tracksuits attempt to interrogate him anyway, as all they want to do is find Kate as well at this point. I just love how like unintimidated Clint is of 
the tracksuit uh. mafia. <laughs> like he literally just shows that he's already untied himself. Uh, I thought that was great. Uh, but the the tracksuit mafia, they're fucking fantastic. Uh, they, they might be my favorite part of the show so far. <laughs> you could just tell that they want to be taken like so seriously and it's just not working. I mean, that guy getting upset that Clint like commented on the place that they're now staying yes. at. <laughs> Their hideout, <laughs> right? <laughs> so hilarious. Here, uh, once again, we see the clown sitting in the background. Uh, it, it did feel like at first that they were setting him up as the leader, but we'll soon find out that that isn't the case at all. Yes, but before we meet who the boss actually is, Kate comes crashing down on the scene, literally, as she broke through the glass ceiling and made a not-so-heroic landing. The tracksuit mafia now having both Clint and Kate tied up call upon their boss, which then you can hear music starting to pump in the background. This is when we get our first glimpse at Echo, who is standing there feeling the sound waves as the show comes to a close. I'm glad that they show like Kate's still new at this. You know, she's not just like, you know, instant like hero, just add Clint. I mean, she's going to make mistakes and, you know, she has a lot to learn. And that's where, you know, Hawkeye comes in as a mentor, I guess. I did think this was a cool introduction to Echo Maya Lopez. Um, she's an amazing character in the comics, a character that I feel like is underutilized. Uh, I, I thought it was a complete curve, though, to you know have her you know set up as like the tracksuit mafia's boss. Uh, you know, she does have a brief history of working for the Kingpin until she kind of like finds her own heroic path in the comics. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll see if possibly that's where this is all leading to i mean i don't want to turn this into like another like mefesto situation but after these two episodes air of course you know kingpin was trending on twitter <laughs> um so i mean i think that's what everyone like fingers crossed is hoping for uh but i don't know i feel like if they do introduce the kingpin it'll be in like a brief like cameo of some sort i don't think he'll end up being like the main villain at all and don't worry damon i've already seen people making like mephisto like speculation based off of a stuffed animal disappearing continuity wise from her bedroom in the very first episode wait <laughs> they're they're saying mephisto's in the series? Yes, they think the dog might be Mephisto because uh, there was a stuffed animal of a Jesus dog in her Christ. room that disappears in another <laughs> shot. And then... At this point, I hope Mephisto never shows up in the MCU. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I do want Kingpin to show up in some capacity. It doesn't need to be the main villain, but if he's just, you know, confirmed to be part of the MCU, I'd be excited. Oh, that, that would be amazing. Absolutely. Exactly. I'd be screaming for the rooftops, <laughs> um, especially if they have Vincent D'Onofrio, you know, playing him again, which I can't imagine mm. them like recasting the role at this point. I think there'd be a huge backlash. But with this being like more of a street level like series and knowing, you know, the assault that, you know, Clint committed on the underworld as Ronan. It only makes sense that, like, you know, Kingpin would least, like, play some sort of role uh, in this story, especially with his ties to Echo. Speaking of which, we do know that Echo is supposed to be getting her own series uh, yes. somewhere in the future in the MCU. Uh, she's a fantastic character once again. Like, <laughs> she has, like, Taskmaster-like level, like, abilities where, you know, she can, you know, copy basically anyone's fighting style. So I'm expecting, like, huge fight scenes between, like, her and the two Hawkeyes. Also, she's a character who's deaf. 
So I'm sure they'll be playing with a lot of like parallels between mm-hmm. her and Clint. Early on, as we, we were talking about um, kind of like the show's pacing and stuff, it I, I think this episode, these two episodes in general, reminded me a lot of what we got from Falcon and Winter, the, and Winter Soldier. And I guess that made me a little bit nervous because that show kind of just pounded out moments as fast as possible. Yeah. And I was afraid that that's going to happen in this show. But there's not as much going on in general. Like, there's not, like, crazy fight scenes every five seconds. So, I mean, it, it doesn't have as much as... Fa- there was some hardcore LARPing, Christian. There was some hardcore LARPing. I agree with you there. <laughs> but just the fact that they had that moment in this episode... You know, a more comedic scene kind of tells you all you need to know, really, that, you know, hopefully this story is a little better paced. Because otherwise, like if we get to that like sixth episode, we feel like some of the storylines are a little like underdeveloped. We're definitely going to be bitching about it like at the end. (laughs) So uh, hopefully that's not the issue here. Exactly, because I'm still at a point where I feel like I need to be hooked a little bit more. Like, I don't know Echo that well as a character. I haven't read too many of her comics or anything that she's involved with. So her unveiling at the end of episode two doesn't do as much for me as I imagine someone who's more, uh, like, custom with the character probably has felt for this. So I'm assuming that she's probably going to have some badass moment in the next episode or something, or at least allude to something more with this character that will make me more excited for this series going forward. I'm... I'm I'm interested in what they're doing with Kate Bishop. I thought they've got her down. I mean, from even just the trailers alone, I thought Haley Steinfeld was already going to be the perfect person to play this role. So I'm, I, I think she's got this character down to a T. I just, I'm just interested where they're going to go. I, I love the moment where um, Clint actually like scoffs at the idea of young superheroes because it's clearly Marvel telling us we are doing the Young Avengers. You know, oh, yeah. we're bringing in all your your young heroes. As as we've already been confirmed, several heroes are showing up in oh, other yeah, movies absolutely. and series. They've introduced us to like half a dozen of them at this point. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm just waiting for a bigger moment to happen in the series. But I think I'm stuck in this kind of, you know, I've been trained by the Netflix series where it was kind of like this four episode structure they would do at the beginning and you would get to this like big moment and that would be like, that's the end of the first chapter. Well, whereas Disney seems to be doing this in a way where the entire season is a complete story um, rather than being chopped up into separate parts and arcs in one season. Yeah, just more like naturally crescendos. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm happy that they released the two episodes at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think that was a smart choice. But once again, I think that's just because we're so impatient. <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> um, because I did appreciate them, like, taking their time in that first episode to really, like, set up who these characters are and where these characters are at um, at this mm-hmm. point in the MCU. So, and I'm glad that they did that. And I thought the second episode was really like light and breezy watch, just filled mm-hmm. with a lot of like fun action. Like I don't need like the weight of the universe to be on the line, like in every single one of these like Disney Plus uh-huh. series episodes. So I, I don't know. I, I enjoy the tone over all of the series too. I mean, there's something also like nostalgic about the tone of the series so far for me. Like it just has this like strong like 80s like action film vibe to it. And I think that's why I'm kind of like digging it, Uh, you know, especially the way they're balancing the comedy. And also I love a good like Christmas backdrop. So I don't know, I'm on board right now. I'll be interested to see how they handle like diving into like 
the darker, you know, places this story could possibly be going, you know, especially like, you know, with Clint as Ronan and like how he dealt with his trauma, you know, losing his family for so long. And maybe they don't even go that deep. I'm not sure, you know, but just the fact that we're dealing with like the underworld of Marvel um, would make me believe we are going to have to go to some darker places that we might not be used to. So can they keep that balancing act you know, with the comedy um, still intact. I mean, I feel like both characters are, especially with the way that they framed it in the show, are great to deal with either one of their issues. I mean, like she lost her dad, he lost a family. They're both going to have this great, you know, father-daughter dynamic that's kind of going to build, I feel like, throughout the show that might help Hawkeye deal with his issues a little bit more. And who knows, maybe that's why they made the choice to kill off, you know, Kate's father instead of her mother, because, you know, you can really like dive into that dynamic. It's definitely yeah. like juicier storytelling. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely looking forward to next week's episode. It's awesome to have another MCU series uh, to break down every week. Uh, make sure you tune in next week as we talk episode three. He thinks he's somebody. He thinks what he does is revolutionary to the wrestling business when in reality, He's just a less famous Miz. Well, this past weekend was WWE's Survivor Series, and I did not tune in. Um, I've been super busy. I can make a million excuses, but I did not tune in to Survivor Series this past weekend. Damon, I think you did. I did, Christian, and it was pretty fucking lackluster, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but with the build that has been like just an afterthought and no real stakes on the line, I don't think anyone should really be surprised, right? Uh, you know, between like the Red Notice egg bullshit and a Pizza mm -hmm. Hut like Battle Royal, it just felt like one giant commercial. So I'm not gonna like break down like the show match for match. Uh, but like, how do you have a fucking egg storyline throughout Survivor Series and not include like, you know, the gobbledygooker? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> it just really shows you the ineptitude of like, you know, WWE's writing staff at this point. Uh, also, apparently they had like a rock like anniversary show without the fucking rock. Like, yep. um, he originally was like planned to be part of it, but then like schedule wise, things just didn't work out, but they knew about this like months in advance. So I'm not sure why they decided to like move forward with this, uh, but we were treated in between every match with some kind of like highlight package involving the rock. So of course fans in attendance and fans watching at home um, who, you know, have no clue that he was like out of the country at this point and like wouldn't like get here due to like quarantine like rules, like was not going to like show up. So imagine like sitting there for four hours expecting the rock to like make some kind of appearance and then to have him like completely like no show. Uh, you know, it's not his fault. It's WWE's fault for fucking, you know, crafting an entire show around him. Uh, like, they couldn't even get him to, like, cut, like, a quick promo, like, via, like, you know, satellite or Instagram. Like, <laughs> I mean, this just made them, like, the WWE look desperate and sad. Like, really, like, they're just, you know, living in the past. 
Uh, they really need to go back to the drawing board when it comes to Survivor Series, like in general. I mean, this just really made, you know, the WWE look desperate and sad because even fucking Impact got him to like appear yeah. on their show <laughs> when he inducted Ken Shamrock into their Hall of Fame. So what the fuck? You would think that Vince would be able to pull off at least like, you know, I don't know, like a Facebook live chat with The Rock or something. Uh, but anyway, like when it comes to like the Survivor Series, they just need to go back to like the drawing board um, because the whole brand versus brand shit, like it just doesn't work anymore. And I feel like we have the same conversation every fucking year, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, at least since this podcast has started, like when it comes to Survivor Series, uh, I mean, like when you do like the draft and completely reshuffle the roster, like, just weeks prior. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Survivor Series first started. And it, it just used to be so fucking fun. Like, like they would just put together these teams of, like, hills and faces, you know, based on feuds. And, you know, they give them, like, silly names. And sometimes they'd wear, like, you know, matching outfits. And, like, it would just be another chapter in, like, their individual storylines. You know, you know, instead now we get like people defending fucking T-shirt colors and like every year it's just a one note story of like, you know, will this team be able to coexist? I mean, which is literally like every story they tell with every one of their tag teams at this point. Mm. So I don't know. It just feels so stale and outdated. I mean, they need to find a way to make the show special again. Like, either go back to, like, the old formula or just craft something new. But, like, the brand versus brand thing, it just doesn't work. Also, like, it didn't help that the show was just extremely way too long. And it was pretty much like a one-match show, uh, that being, like, the Becky and Charlotte match. But with that being said, I always expect them to have a good match. It'd be more of a story if they didn't have a good match. I mean, they took their personal issue and they tried to make it into an angle... And they really, like, try to, like, drum up controversy by having both of them do, like, different sit-down interviews with outside media to get people talking. Um, I was a little worried that they were going to try to do some kind of, like, work-shoot bullshit. Um, But luckily, they didn't. It was just a good match that was super intense. Um, They, at times, did try to, like, blur the lines a little. And I felt like that led to a little sloppiness here and there. But it was by far the best like match of the night but the rest of the card no fault to the wrestlers mind you just felt like they were going through like the motions they like spent way too much time you know in the elimination matches protecting superstars with fucking like count out eliminations which is just fucking ridiculous (laughs) and it like it went over like a fart in church like with with the fans like you could just tell like it just sucked the air right out of the building to the point where the crowd started to turn on the poor like women's uh survivor series match uh i mean the match wasn't great by you know any stretch of the imagination but like it was no worse than like the men's match, you know, prior. Mm. So I mean, even Big E and Roman's match felt like a glorified like SmackDown main event, honestly, uh, because there was no stakes. Like it, there's no real serious storyline, at least like nothing that will continue past this pay per view, and that's a problem. You know this this pay per view like 
once again, like they had no build because they knew like once this pay-per-view was over, they were going to move on to, you know, other things, other programs. So they spent, you know, the weeks, you know, leading up to this pay-per-view just kind of working on those storylines. Mm-hmm. It felt like they're like caught by surprise that Survivor Series was happening this month. Which aren't they caught by surprise every month with every pay-per-view it seems like at this point? That's how it feels, honestly. Lately. So... <laughs> I think the last Survivor Series that actually got me excited was probably the NXT one. But even that was just, you know, brand supremacy. And it didn't really mean anything for the actual shows. But it was just interesting to see, you know, the NXT superstars get, you know, a spotlight. That was the only thing that was pretty much new and inventive by it. Other than that, it was nothing else to it. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of good that did him. Right. No, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> look at NXT now. They're a glorified developmental territory. So, um, but yeah, no, I, it, it was really disappointing to see. And it was just so fucking long. I mean, honestly, like the best book storyline was the fucking egg shit. It was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually had like the nerve to like end it on a cliffhanger and made the story like continue on into Raw the next day uh, with the payoff of you know, it being Austin Theory all along and like he gets rewarded for some reason for stealing this egg by getting a fucking match against Biggie, I guess. So okay. whatever, right? <laughs> but if you listen to the show, it it's no secret that we've been watching a lot less like WWE of late. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I'm always a little nostalgic <laughs> for Survivor Series. It is kind of like a Thanksgiving tradition for me. So I ended up watching this, but I don't know. Maybe it's about time that, you know, I find a new tradition, right? When it comes to Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Maybe I could just, you know, watch (laughs) like, you know, past, you know, Survivor Series pay-per-views, do a little binge or something like that, because this is doing nothing for me, but just, you know, (laughs) you know, raising my blood pressure and giving me a headache. So anyway, uh, we're recording this episode on Wednesday. Dynamite just happened. Uh, Christian didn't get a chance to watch that either. Uh, but that wasn't by choice, like Survivor Series. But you, my friend, missed out on a fantastic verbal sparring session between uh, CM Punk and MJF. I mean, this was fucking epic, Christian. So I, I, I implore you to go back and definitely you know, check it out. Um, just two master craftsmen doing what they do best, tearing people down. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably not going to be able to watch it till Friday. It's going to be frustrating. You know, Thanksgiving time, the family comes around. They all judge me for watching wrestling. <laughs> How dare they? I know, right? <laughs> like, honestly, I feel like it's probably one of the best, like, segments of Dynamite's history. Um, it went, I think, close to, like, 20 minutes, which is just unheard of for, like, you know, a promo, a talking, a pure talking segment on Dynamite. Um, it's very, that's very much a WWE thing, especially like opening up the show that way. But mm-hmm. my God, every minute was worth it. I mean, like every time I thought it was going to end, like it would just keep on going. And like, they just kept on getting more and more brutal with each other. And you could tell like the crowd was just eating it up and they were in Chicago. Um, but like everyone was just on the edge of their seats, like seeing how, you know, each other would respond to everything they were you know, they were being said and they they didn't pull any punches like MGF brought, you know, up uh, CM Punk's like UFC shit. Um, you know, he called them PG Punk and talked about, you know, kind of like what we've been bitching about, honestly, like with <laughs> Punk being on this, like, you know, welcome back tour 
honestly, you know, shaking like hands and kissing babies. It seems like the core of the storyline here is that, you know, uh, MJF's like um, jealousy towards Punk, uh, especially since he did not mention him once in any of his like interviews of like a wrestler that he wants to face in AEW. Punk did confess that was on purpose. Um you know, that he wanted to get into, like, MJF's head. I'm paraphrasing. But he did at one point call MJF a less popular version of The Miz, which was fantastic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I can't wait to see more of this. Um, I'm not doing it justice at all. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, go ahead and check it out for yourselves. Uh, but this was just amazing. I mean, one of the best, like, promo segments I've seen in years, honestly. I mean, if you think about it, like, in, like, you know, just a couple of short months, Punk's already had like two of the biggest like mic moments uh, in AEW's history. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm just really hoping that this is like a longer form story line that they're telling and going for here. Like I, I know I think the pay per view is in February, right? So I'm fine with you know them not having a match until February at least. But I, I want to see it continue on and not just end like, you know, it did with like Eddie and Punk. Yes. Because that was, you know, unfortunately just one match. And I feel like there was still meat on the bone. And I'm sure they might be saving that for later on. Yeah, I have to imagine there'll be a second match at least in the next few months or mm-hmm. so. And honestly, like after this program ends, I feel like, you know, MJF's next chapter is going to be revolving around the title picture. So, um, indeservedly so after a performance like this. Mm-hmm. But besides this insanely awesome moment, uh, we had a huge eight-man tag as the main event of the show where we had uh, the Lucha Brothers teaming up with Cody and uh, Pac uh, facing off against Malachi Black, FTR, and Andrade. Uh <laughs> This was a fucking barn burner of a match. Uh, But man, like Chicago was not kind to fucking poor Cody. Uh, (laughs) And I don't know, man, like I'm hoping this is just a storyline to turn him heel. Uh, But like there is definitely like resentment now from the crowd. Now they're definitely going (laughs) for like, you know, the throat when Cody comes out. Uh Uh, At one point, he like throws his like weight belt into the crowd and they fucking throw it back. Almost hitting (laughs) Aubrey, mind you, because this isn't a fucking T-shirt they're throwing back. It's a fucking leather belt with a big buckle on it. So, I mean, honestly, I'm hoping that the guy who threw it back got fucking kicked out because that's just stupidity. I mean, he's lucky he didn't take like out someone in like the the crowd, honestly. But they're definitely like rejecting him now. Um, So if the plan wasn't to turn heel, I feel like he just has no choice at this point and i know he's been out there like doing interviews claiming that he'll never turn heel like he's john fucking cena or something um you know sadly for cody like he's not john cena and you know (laughs) and honestly like i i scoff at that fucking comparison because john cena like what he did him not turning heel hurt the product so much um, and I don't want to hear any fucking bullshit or any revisionist history because, like, I was watching that shit as it was going down. And it just stifled so much storytelling when it came mm. to, like, Cena. And the, the, it made the product so fucking stale 
that like it, it became unbearable. And I know a lot of my friends who were watching wrestling at the time ended up leaving their fandom behind because they just couldn't handle Cena being shoved down their throats, you know, every fucking week. So, I mean, so if that's the reason why, you know, Cody, you know, doesn't want to turn heel, I mean, it's purely selfish. You know, the charity I, you know, I get, but at the same time, he's a fucking actor playing a part. You know, Mm -hmm. there are heels out there who do charity work. I mean, this is in the 1970s, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the rabbit's out of the bag at this point, Cody. So, you know, everyone understands that, you know... Wrestling's a performance, so you can still do charity as a heel. So I don't want to hear that excuse. Um, but like I said, I still feel like this is part of a, a bigger storyline that they're telling here. Because otherwise, Cody's just completely tone deaf. Yeah, it, it would suck if he never did a heel run again. Because, I mean, he he does heal extremely well. <laughs> it just it does, makes no sense for him not to. It doesn't make any sense to handcuff yourself like that. Uh-huh. It definitely feels like it's part of his nature to make these broad statements, mm-hmm. you know, and then realize only after the fact that there's no way he can really truly follow through with them. Um, you know, he's got a bad case of, like, foot and mouth syndrome. Uh, which you would think at this point, you know, with AEW being like almost three years old, he would have learned from by now, you know. Um, but we'll see. Like I said, I still, <laughs> I'm still holding out hope that this is a storyline. Yeah, I'm. I would rather him go the crazy route. He turns heel in some weird way, and then he goes up against Paige, and maybe, maybe that's you know. The end of his storyline is him stealing the title off of Paige. And then you get this massive heel heat on him. I know out there there's like this narrative that they can't like go back on their like stipulations because, you know, if you do that, you start to become the WWE and, you know, then your fans don't care about those stipulations because they don't really carry any water. Um, But like if you only do it once in a blue moon, I feel like that won't be the, the case at all. Mm. You know, it's one thing if they're breaking, you know, steps every fucking week. But if it's every like three years, give me a break. That's just storytelling, you know, <laughs> it's especially, been long enough, especially if it's organic. So uh-huh. I don't know. Like, I mean, it, it was a stupid fucking stipulation in the first place. <laughs> like, I hated that fucking stipulation from the get go. I was like, why would you possibly do that? You know, it, it's like what I was talking about in the beginning with AEW. Um, you know, when we talked about Punk and uh, MJF having an 18 minute long segment. Now, with WWE, that happens every fucking week. So it's exhausting and like it makes their shows feel stale. But when, you know, on the other channel they do it, you know, once in what, like, you know, three years, it feels new and fresh. That's just yes. how it works. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's not like it's not a case where like you do it once and that's it. You know, you're the WWE now. And the same like holds true with like DQs for AEW. Don't do it every week. Do it like once, you know, in a rare occasion. And, you know, they mean something. They matter. So I, 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 I don't think it will really hurt, you know, AEW if Cody breaks the stip. 
Um, it only makes sense for him, like character wise. And I feel like that's maybe one of the reasons why he doesn't want to turn heel, because if he does turn heel, then how doesn't he break that stipulation? Uh-huh. You know, especially if he's supposed to be like, you know, executive vice president or whatever. Um, you know, it feels like just like a natural progression for the, you know, that storyline as a character. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what the hell he's thinking. But anyway, Christian, it's Thanksgiving Eve. So I'm exhausted and I've got like 20 people coming to the house. So let's head home, man. Yeah, uh, I got to be up in like two hours. <laughs> well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, David, what are we talking about next week? Well, join us next week as we break down the third episode of Hawkeye. Plus, I'll have a review for Cowboy Bebop. And, of course, we'll talk all the latest happenings in wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Dragon Sword, Mastodon, Pyrodactyl, Triceratops, Saber Tooth Tiger, Tyrannosaurus, 